listening to episode 302 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our journey with season one of The Magicians. And just before we came on the air, you told me you got spoiled on something, and I know yeah. you're not going to bring it up, but it, I won't. damn it. I mean, it's just it's virtually impossible these days to stay spoiler-free with anything. Yeah, and I like actively try to maintain a spoiler-free zone. Uh, you know the the, the thing I got I spoiled. I was like literally just looking to find out how to spell the name of a character, and like they had it right up front at the at the like the start of the character description. They had a big major effing spoiler, and uh, so whatever. I'll move on. Yeah, a little discussion going on on the Facebook group about, uh, well, really responding to an article that that I linked, that basically saying that Netflix should consider the Game of Thrones model, and, and of course, not necessarily. And we're not going to get into the way so many out there hated season seven and hated season eight. I'm not going to discuss that now, but just the idea of dumping an entire season at one time versus doling them out week by week or some other uh you know time frame because it just it just changes the whole if you want to call it a water cooler dynamic and you and i've talked about this before Mm -hmm. so it's probably not going to happen and i guess i feel that as consumers we've really got the best of both worlds we've got netflix that dumps everything at once as does amazon and i guess hulu do you have hulu yep yeah i just uh okay. got my son to give me his password so yeah i got hulu <laughs> uh, okay and you know and then of course there's hbo and showtime and stars mm-hmm. where they give it to us once a week and, and and of course channels like sci-fi and amc and and you know the the bigger networks right. so i i guess it is what it is it's it's just have to bear with it. If you haven't caught up, you have to leave the room if the discussion's going on. So, right, right, yep. Uh, I kind of anyway, wish they so, dump uh, uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. all at once so I can just get it over with. Uh, <laughs> did you get started? I, I saw the first episode, yeah. So Okay. It was good. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. The, the second, second is good. Well... It'll be interesting because this is the first season they have not had 22 episodes. They're down to 13. So, and I guess the interesting thing, that's a show that I don't really feel like had filler episodes, but there were some that were less stellar than the others. So it'll be interesting to see what happens here. But sure. Um Anyway, uh, before we go too far with our discussion, if you want to send us some feedback, uh, emails go to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Go to the website, leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab. You can record your own audio clip and send it to us. Uh, and we'd encourage you to consider joining the Facebook group and get into the discussions there. Or you can magically insert it into a bunny and, and send it to us. Oh, a good point. I didn't even think about that one. Yes. Um, now, in terms of tip of the week, I would suspect we both are considering the same thing and we're not going to talk about it because it's it's still some people, probably a lot of people haven't seen the 
Game of Thrones finale, uh, and it's a show that's been you know really talked about. Uh, I don't even know what to say. Yeah. I mean, just just in general, did you enjoy the finale? Um, you know, I have kind of mixed feelings. I, I think they did a great job of creating closure there. I, I feel like again, things kind of happened maybe a little too quickly. And that uh, it would have been maybe nicer if we could have had some build up to some of the things that happened there. But uh, overall, you know, at the end, as far as, you know, closing a show, uh, tying up all the loose ends, giving us resolution on all the characters, um, it, it did that. You know, and that's that's a hard thing to do. And the longer the show is, yeah. the, the tougher it is. And you can't all have mash endings, right? Right, of course. And and again, there's a lot of criticism heaped on the showrunners and writers. And, you know, some of it I, I understand, some of it I don't think is warranted. And I guess at the heart of it all, I, I feel like if you want to level criticism, how about George R. R. Martin? I mean, dude, get off your ass and write the damn books. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know that's easy for me to say, but... Oh, right. But, you know, you know, you know, literally, what else do you have to do? I mean, I know he's got other projects. Yeah, just finish the books. Well, out. as do the showrunners. Well, right. And, and again, without here, I say without going into this discussion, so I don't you know want to go too far. But, right. uh, uh, you, you know, it's it's you had a finite amount of time. Like you mentioned, a, a common argument that I've read is that they rushed through the season. Yeah. Well. They only had six episodes. But, I mean, is that because so HBO, maybe, did HBO dictate that? Or did they say, you know, we're gonna, that they named it? You'd think that they would have enough pull to name the amount of episodes that they get, you know? I, I guess. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I you know, know. And, and, I, and I said this uh, when I was talking to Michael that, you know, none of us really know what their contracts right. <laughs> state. I just would be really shocked if George R.R. R. Martin – you know, watch the last couple episodes and like, oh my God, they killed Kenny. <laughs> and right, no, because they definitely know, I, were I, in discussions sure. with him, and he told them what the story arc is in general. But um, that's what he I left it up to them so, to, anyway. to to you know get get there, however they see fit. So I have a feeling if he ever gets around to writing yeah, the books, they'll so. be a lot different than what happened in the TV show. So. Who knows? But uh, all right. So you want to get on to the magicians? Sure. Oh wait, wait, wait. Just uh, one thing is is like just okay. pick of the week because I did. Well, it's funny we talked about like watch a show once because I went and watched all of Catch Twenty Two in in one night on Saturday night. Um, it just just released on Hulu, and um, you know, just really quick, I, you know, Catch Twenty Two is probably my all time favorite novel. So I again, like with Game of Thrones, I really had kind of mixed emotions. There's some really funny parts. The the characters are very engaging, but it's it's so unlike the novel. And, and this is certainly where if I'd never read the novel and watched this show, I'd probably think it was awesome. But unfortunately, with the novel in the back of my mind, all I can think of, well, how come they didn't do this? Why isn't this in there? You know, and even the movie itself being only two hours long, I thought did a better job of incorporating the style and tone of the novel, which this one just almost refuses 
uh, to do. But it was a good story anyway. Wow. And if you if you haven't read Catch Twenty Two, I would recommend to watch the show first and then go read the novel and really treat yourself there. All right. Well, I'll have a good one for next week, but. Uh... We will talk about The Magicians. This is episode nine of season one, titled The Writing Room, written by Sarah Gamble, who's one of the showrunners, uh, directed by James L. Conway. It aired March 14th, 2016. And, you know, this was a, a more of a compact episode in that we we certainly saw some of Julia's story. And, and I got to be honest, I'm not exactly sure what to make of all that. But then we saw, you know, Penny Elliott, Quentin and Alice outside of the break bills environment. And, and certainly it was a, a storyline that, that shattered the illusions that, uh, that Quentin had, but all of the characters are, are really making some great strides and not necessarily for the better, but you know, one of Penny's lines, you can't possibly want, I'm sorry. Uh, one of Quentin's lines to Penny you can't possibly want to be a dick more than you want to live. And right. it sort of crystallizes Penny's attitude. It's like, where's all this hostility coming from? Well, I, yeah, again, we, we really don't know uh, for sure. But we, we know at some level, a guy like Penny and a guy like Quentin are just completely opposite people. And, and I think that pisses Penny off all the time. And I mean, I know there's the nerd factor that, you know, that that Quentin loves these books and Penny thinks it's childish that he even still talks about them and thinks about them. But, you know, still. Yeah, true. true. But though we could say probably by the end of the episode that, you know, Penny's attitude towards literature and hero worshiping its creators is justified, right? Oh, oh, no question. And, and certainly he takes much more of an active role in the mission to discover more truths about Fillory because, I mean, Fillory is obviously something that he just dismissed out of hand initially. And, and of course, at this point, it's really impossible to deny that Fillory exists. I mean, he's been there for crying out loud. So, so we know that he's also becoming more proficient as a traveler, which is something that that comes in pretty handy. Uh, you know, at first when we see him restrained, uh, right away I thought, well, just travel somewhere. You're, you're right. You know, the ropes aren't still going to be on your wrists. And uh, exactly. But the other one is that Quentin is really coming into his own, and there's much less of that whininess that that we criticized, and I would suspect most viewers felt the same through you know the first six seven eight episodes but you know taking the lead as fillory becomes more important in the narrative but that revelation that he makes to alice that my brain breaks sometimes necessitating hospitalization and you know these these truths about the different individuals are are certainly coming out and, and you will get to one about penny in, in a little bit but uh the other thing, did did you get a feeling like we were back at the haunting of Hill House <laughs> at times? Oh yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah, but it wasn't quite as spooky, you know. Oh no, no, no like question. It, but just as confusing. 
Um, yeah. But uh, but you know, let, let's talk a little bit about Julia's story because it, it's not all that long. And and again, that's something we've said the last few weeks that, that we wish uh, you talk about Game of Thrones. You know that they sped the story up too much. Uh, I'd like to see Julia's story sped up a little bit. But we get that apology letter. And in my notes, I've got apology slash hate letter that she sends yeah. him. And, you know, she blames him. She blames herself. And, and, and I think she's right there that, you know, they, they both have blame. But I, I like the fact that he just basically didn't take the bait. You know what I mean? It, it's it's he responds, but it's I hope you're doing OK. I miss you. And, and doesn't really get into the blame yeah. game. So. Right. It's, it seemed kind of a lame response though, still, you know, like, um, but I guess I didn't see it the way you're seeing it. And that, that actually kind of makes sense. If we can see, you know, Quentin as being someone who is able to rise above and not someone who's just trying to avoid conflict. Well, that could be too, the, the avoiding conflict. And, and the, I, I guess, we have to consider the fact that these are two individuals that have been friends for a very long time. And I guess we're really not sure how much time has elapsed from that initial episode where she, you know, doesn't get accepted into break bills. I assume we're just talking maybe months rather than, I mean, they're still freshmen as far as we know. So uh, it's just, but didn't they finish their first semester? Wasn't that, is that what the trials were the whole all about? Fog speech. To, oh, right, right, like yeah. right, right. So at least maybe three or four months for sure. So right. Julia is still in. I, I, again, I, I guess it's rehab. I don't know what else to call it, but we really start to wonder what Richard's intentions are, what his end game is with her, because he's got her practicing now. She calls it mental projection. I guess it's different than astral projection because I guess astral projection, like what Penny does, is he goes somewhere else physically. Right. For her, it, it looks like they're creating this, you know, pocket universe or, or whatever you want to call it, where the two of them can then can meet. And, and when I say them, it's the, the wheelchair, wheelchair bound Kira who. I don't think we learn what put her in the wheelchair or even what her deal is, but she doesn't. It, it seemed like it was something magical. Okay. Um, because she, she did go to MIT, as she said, but she certainly right. is into magic. And she's got the, the spell notes that look like high-level math that's so high, I barely know that it's even math or whatever it is. But uh, You're right. But uh, – the idea, and I mean, at the end of the day, does Richard set Julia up to kill Kira? I mean, is that what this is all about? I don't think he sets her up per se. I think he knows that Kira wants to die. But uh, so is this a lesson? But I mean, Julia doesn't do it though, right? I mean, Richard's the one who injects the drug into her. Well, we don't see it. I, I, you know, we see him put away the syringes and the, uh, you know, the bottle, but we don't necessarily see. I mean, I find it hard to believe that Julia actually did the injection, but 
what's her role? Why why does she feel guilty? What part does she play? I mean, if Richard's the one that injected her, what part does Julia really play here? It doesn't really make a lot of sense because, like you said, I mean, Julia is in, you know, Kira's mind with her when we see it start to get black, you know, as she is leaving, it start, it start to get black. So, you know, we just, you know, I naturally assume that Richard is the one who actually delivered the injection. So I guess Kira, I don't know if she necessarily plays a part in it, but just feels bad because she is dead. And, you know, I don't know. Well, well, yeah. Well, and I guess that's part of my problem with this episode is that, I mean, look, you and I are fairly intelligent guys. You know, we, we've got a fairly extensive background in literary analysis and all of that. And, you know, I, I feel like there's something here. But if it's this jumbled and maybe it's going to become clear later, uh, you know, I, I don't know. But w- we understand that Kira is in a physical position that she wants to die. And, and, and that's understandable. I mean, we wouldn't be having the conversation about euthanasia in, in our country and, and many other countries if it wasn't, you know, an issue. But that said, Richard says to Julia after it happens, well, what do you think redemption looks like, Julia? Um, what does Julia need redemption for? I mean, is, is it the thing with... Uh, katie's mom is because that kind of is on katie's mom i feel yeah but i i think julia feels like and rightly so that you know she was at least you know part of pushing the envelope to try and and steal these spells uh from marina um i i, th- I mean if, if if she feels bad about anything i think that's probably what she feels guilt and trauma over um because again she's she is traumatized and 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 i think you know i mean holding hannah in her arms as she bled from the eyes and everything is you know traumatic enough to really have an effect on on anyone oh yeah no no question and and i guess the one thing that i feel really does come out of this storyline is that when kira asks her what was her best day as a child you know best day of your life growing up and julia says it was when she and quentin were 10 and they made a map of fillery we were playing but it felt real and obviously we know over on the break bills side that they're getting very close to going to fillery and even though quentin has this intimate knowledge of fillery i think certainly what this episode shows is that well, what I think I know may in fact be wrong. And absolutely right. And to have somebody like Julia, who at least has, you know, some insight as well, I I think they're going to need her. So, Uh, but obviously this is really about their journey to Christopher Plover's house. The the man who wrote the Fillory series and the opening scene, uh, apparently Quentin and Alice are now, living together i mean certainly they're at least sleeping together but we, we find book six and we don't actually find it but we we find some information out of it and it turns out that penny 
I guess, took it back when they were roommates. Yeah, I read it. Then I threw it away. It's gone. <laughs> and, and I think we're as incredulous as Quentin. I, I don't know. And and Quentin doesn't understand why Penny doesn't see the need to be allies. And, and that is a little bit troublesome about Penny. I mean, I think by the end of this episode, he's coming on board. I think so much happened here that he understands. But he does have that revelation that Plover didn't write book six. Jane Chatwin wrote it and says the other books are wrong, and here's what the deal really is. And I got to believe that if the rest of the book was basically the things we learn in this episode, Penny would have remembered that. So I don't know if he's going to remember more next episode or not, but at least he remembers enough to get them to go there. Uh, The other character... A very funny scene where he was you know, working his way, trying to recall what he had, had read and they're, you know, visualizing it. They're showing it visually as he talks. It was, you know, very funny. Yeah, and usually Elliot is funny. Tonight, no, he, he's not al- funny. Yeah, he's almost pitiful. And, you know, when he hears they're going to England, well, you don't need to fly. Um, you know, we opened a portal directly to our favorite pub and I'll only take you if I can go. And it's he's just so lonely. I mean, is this about what happened with Mike? Is this about the fact that Margot is still in Ibiza? Is it both? I, I, I don't know. But it's, I guess, kind of ironic that he's latching on to these freshmen who he's generally fairly condescending with. I mean, yeah, I know yeah. he and Margot have become part of their little circle of friends if you will but but still they they sort of lorded over them that we're juniors and you're freshmen so right um yeah definitely his excuse me his reaction his manner is due to uh having to kill mike um and his you know very negative about everything and Alice wants to save the kids. He's was like, what's the use? It's pointless, you know, and everything. So we see he's really just in a, a extremely dark place right now. Yeah. And on the one hand, in, in terms of character development, I, I like that because we don't want to just see him as this party boy only interested in his mix, his drink mixing abilities and his wardrobe. So we really see that other side. And as you say, it's, so much darker than what we've seen but they're on a tour in plover's mansion of first and okay i guess it was moderately funny that quentin was correcting you know the tour guide which is uh i mean something seen in other shows as well but but that's okay but we learn you know they're looking for this button this magic button in the course of this I think we knew this already, so I'm not really sure we needed Quentin to verbalize the fact that he feels the books saved him. And maybe we need to hear that because the fall from grace for for Plover is so great that that maybe it's not the books that saved him. Maybe he can come to terms that, 
you know, the books were just a tool. I saved myself. Obviously, now he's, he's going to be more able to come to that conclusion with his this in finding out this very deep, dark secret behind uh, the books. He won't necessarily see Plover as being some kind of savior for his, some kind of superhero, but as a monster instead. You know, it seems kind of like, you know, a, a natural thing for uh, people who are alone and, and feel like, you know, you know, depressed a lot that if they work through those things that they can attribute getting through that to some outside thing, be it a person or a book or an experience or whatever, people tend to, I think, try to find the uh, the source of what happens. And we tend to look for the source of what happens to us outside of our, ourselves. Right. And I guess what's so horrific about what we learn about Plover is that these young children that he abused were really coming to him for that, you know, feeling of security, that comfort. And, right. and, you know, the, the scene where, you know, he's taking the pictures of Martin that he's just so devious the way he does it because he's so gentle in the way he's, he talks to Martin and it's just, uh, it's it's just really difficult to watch, right? Extremely difficult to yeah. watch, yes. But, you know, I, I mentioned a few minutes ago about the feeling we get sort of like we're in the haunting of Hill House. And, and yes, as you said, I mean, it's certainly not as creepy, but I don't understand it. I mean, I, I get the whole ghosts in the house kind of thing, and I, I never really connected ghosts to magic, are, are we supposed to make that connection, do you think? Well, what I think basically what Penny is showing is that what people tend to think of as ghosts is really not, you know, we think of ghosts as like like a person's spirit still, you know, autonomously living on. And what we see here, it tends to be just like the echoes of the past replaying over and over and over again. Right, Penny calls it a time slip, which I thought was a very cool uh, concept. So, th- so they th- see things as they were, but but then we also see the same kids that we see them very ghost-like, where they actually look dead, and then they'll say, yes. "Oh no, I'm over here," and then they look completely normal, completely alive, just as they you know did. Right. So, right, I, I, and they are looking out the window as our group prepares to leave like you know kind of maybe supporting alice's version that somehow they they can be saved you know in opposition to elliot's where this has already happened there's nothing can change it because it's just the past replaying itself right now the other thing we find out about martin and jane you know we see jane run through the closet to go to fillery martin tries to follow her and you know, there's no portal anymore and that apparently Fillory won't let him in. We don't know why. We don't know what the circumstances. We don't know the context. At least I don't think we do. I, I didn't pick it up. But no, we just got like Penny says uh, how he's irritated because Martin's always whining because he, he can't get in. Right. So do we know whether Christopher Plover has been to Fillory or not? 
you know, I, um, we don't know. He's got the Traveler books in his library, but it certainly seems like from his conversation with Martin that he has not at this point. Right. That's what I'm thinking, that he's trying to figure out a way for him to get there so that at this point, Fillory allows Jane in. At one time, it allowed Martin, but it has never allowed him. And through magic and you know obviously that's evidenced by all the books that that uh, penny finds on his bookshelf that that's what he's trying to uh figure out but the speculation and i know this addresses you saying about the spoiler i listened to it a couple times it certainly seems like quentin speculates that plover is the beast but i don't think that's where we're headed so right, well, because it's way too easy, right? Yeah, and I suspect you ran across as, and I didn't tell you at the time, but I ran across, I think, the same thing uh, that it's not Plover, but and I don't want to say because I think at this point it's that's basically where everything points. So I guess we'll just leave it there unless there's something else you want to say yeah. about it. Nah, you got it. Okay. <laughs> So, so you know, they, they start putting two and two together that, you know, they see George or the ghost of George, who's one of the uh, housekeeper's children that, and again, I guess we get the sense that Plover abused the housekeeper's children as well, although I guess maybe, maybe not because the house. No, not so because George says that they play this oh, game. Oh, you're right. Not, not night. we. Not we. Yeah. That's right, right. Yeah. But they do see him put the button in his pocket, and then I think it's uh, Q that says, well, let's go up and dig, let's go dig up a dead body. They find it, and, and that's one of the things I, I did like about this episode. We saw him put it in his pocket. We know he gets killed. We don't see anybody take it out of his pocket, so it, it stands to reason it'll still be in his pocket, and it is. But you mentioned just in in passing again a few minutes ago about alice's reaction to all of this and it's that that idea that why are we learning magic if we can't fix these things if we can't help these kids and i guess that's where elliot comes in that you know we have things that can prevent it but we can't undo it and right it's a pretty powerful i, I think for her to have to accept you know, I, I guess. Right, but, you know, it, it, we, we question, does she does she have to accept it? You know, like, I mean, we get that, you know, Elliot knows, you know, is older and has studied it longer. But um, he just, like, Alice's, they don't even really listen to what Alice is saying. They just kind of shoot her down right away. Right. Well, you know, we know the, about the time slips, but that's clearly different than time travel. So I I guess unless there's some spell that would let you go back in time and prevent something from happening, Hey, maybe that's something we'll, we'll get in one of the next seasons of the magicians. But to this point, we haven't really heard anything about that, but during that conversation and, and one might say that Elliot's forcing Alice to accept the reality that's not very pleasant and that would be true on the other hand somebody might say well you could do that and be a little bit less rude to her 
And it got me to thinking that maybe there's a reason this is impacting him so heavily. I wonder if there's something in his past that we're going to learn about that maybe this was a little too close to home. I don't know, but we, we get to the end and again, you know, this comes up in agents of shield all the time. It's one of the reasons I had a difficult time liking Mac because he never follows orders. Now that he's the director of shield, I wonder how he's going to deal with his underlings when they don't follow orders. Penny gives me that same feeling. You just went through all of this. You don't really know what this button's significance is. And what do you do? You take it and you time travel or whatever, or or time jump or whatever it is. I don't think he did that on purpose though. Oh, so you think, I don't think he did that on purpose. Okay. So you think maybe the button was the catalyst for him jumping. Okay. And that makes more sense because he very arrogantly says, well, you know, if I don't want to jump, was, I can't remember exactly what he said, but basically it's like, if if I don't want to go, then I won't. Oh, that's and, a good point. You know, he touches the button and and boom, he's gone. That's right. Oh, that's right. And, that and that Quinn says, you yep, know. Yep, I remember that. Yeah, Q's like, I told him not to do that, you know, so. Um, but, but you're absolutely right. It's still totally in line with his character of being very arrogant and thinking he knows best all the time, right? And that everyone else is stupid, and he's the only one who can see it clearly. I just, you have to, th- I mean, if it probably took him to Fillory, and, you know, the beast is kind of there. So, you know, Penny might be in some trouble here. Yeah, good point. And, and that's one of the things that I like the way all these characters fit together, because Alice arguably is the smartest of them all, but she's had practice being the smartest person in the room her whole life. And and she's learned to temper her, her attitude about different things, as opposed to Quentin, who is not the most socially adept and Penny as well. And maybe that's why Penny and Q butt heads so often, because in in many ways they are so alike. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Alike in, in many levels, but yet different enough that, uh, that Q can constantly piss Penny off. Okay. All right. Anything you want to uh, bring up that we haven't talked about before we get to Fred's feedback? Just one thing, because they said how, like, Martin, right, after uh, Plover's death, Martin, like, ransacked the place looking for the button. Well, I mean, he knew he gave it to George. He must have known. Well, I guess he wouldn't have known where George was buried or what happened. Yeah, he might have thought George just went away or something yeah that, but it just seems like the, the the group figures it out much more quickly when you know martin obviously was you know had more seemed to be more motivated to try and find that button all right well why don't we take a listen to fred's feedback and we will be right back hello dave and wayne this is fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for the magicians season one episode nine First off, thanks guys for the advice to take a week off to watch 80 episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm at the winter hiatus, so that's season 2 episode 10, so 12 to go. 
and then three seasons of 22 and in the newest season season six there are already two episodes and that re results in 80 episodes well since you dave switched with mike in the midwinter hiatus towards agent carter i will do that and we'll continue watching Agent Carter, which I paused because I thought that series was too good to watch. I like how Haley Atwell plays Agent Carter. I really like to see her now and then in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I find it silly that this series had no more than two seasons. In total, 18 episodes and... I like the whole post-World War II circumstance and the interaction with the Starks. Really, really nice. Okay, about the magicians. I have one remaining question from episode 7 left. The episode, the Mayaskovsky circumstance. When Elliot and Margot are talking about Ibiza and Todd walks in, they tell him that... It would not be so good for him to go there because he would feel awkward and lonely, etc. And then they tell the story about the so-called other Todd that somebody changed into a pig and they ate the pig. And then Todd says, are you messing with me? And then Margot looks at Todd and looks down and Todd looks down. Well, I have an idea, but what's happening there? It's not explained and, well, what happens there? Okay, about episode 9. I found it a little strange that Julia, in her rehabilitation clinic, wrote Quinton a letter, which she asked Richard to pass on, and that Quinton is emailing back. Uh, why does Julia use a letter? Because she has no access to internet, and then Quinton is emailing back? Uh, I found it a little illogical. The other option, of course, is that Julia never received Quinton's email just because of this and that will then probably play out later in the season. You were talking about the hostility more or less between Penny and Quinton last podcast. I think in this episode it gets more and more even so far that Quinton has to say the beast is trying to pick us both off. You've got the scars to prove it. I don't understand why we just can't be basic allies. You can't possibly want to be a dick more than you want to live. I liked when Penny's story is changing and changing again that this is also visualized. So Jane is walking with her brother into Fillory and then, oh no, that her brother was not with her and then Choop, the brother is gone. And the dog changing into a pig and then into, and what is not said, the next animal is a ferret. I kept them as pets for many, many years. A little funny thing about that is that in Dutch, a ferret is called a fret. And my name is actually Fred. In English, you call it Fred. So Fred had an animal which was a Fred. And I even called him Fred. I have to admit I was a little embarrassed when Quentin went into Plover's writing room and was taking selfies. It was, of course, very awkward and Penny looked at it like, oh no, creepy fan. But actually, I did exactly the same when I traveled for nine days in Toronto to make all kinds of these shots for the series I like most, Orphan Black. This Penny Quinton 
incompatibility, oh, not a good word. Um, and they are doing the tour in Plover's house. And Quentin can finish the sentence, the guide is starting. And then Penny looks towards Quentin and says, you will never be a man. And not as a kind of insult, but more as a amazed realization. This is where Fillory was born, where Plover told tales to Jane and Martin. As Plover wrote, there is no substitute for a childhood of adventure, warmth, and love. You will never be a man. I liked, by the way, Plover's house. It is very reminiscent to the Philahalla estate, which is used in a lot of Canadian series, also in Orphan Black and in Lost Girl. It's one of my favorite buildings in the world, uh, with these wooden sides of the corridors and these staircases and stainless glass windows. Very, very nice. I like the map Julia and Quinton made under the table when they were much younger. I really wonder if this map is going to play into future episodes and if we are going to, well, a lot of people saw it, but I didn't. Are we going to use this map or nitpick on it in season two, three, four? It feels a bit like Lord of the Rings. I find it very strong of Quentin that after he knows how Plover really was and what he did with uh, Martin and other kids, that he condemns him and quite immediately. I think this is a very strange thing for a super fan. And we see how Quentin behaves in Plover's house and how <laughs> Penny is reacting to that. Quentin surely f falls into the category of super fans. Penny even calls it a nerdgasm when Quentin is seeing Jane and Martin running by. But still, if superfans hear something bad about their idols, there is often a lot of denial. I think this is a big, big leap for Quinton. If you see him in the beginning of the episode sitting behind Plover's desk and saying things like... This is where he wrote it. Right here. This desk saved my life. <laughs> Then they get into this time loop and see what really happened. Is it just me or does it feel like we're being shown something? Like how it was? Yeah, a time slip. You say that like, yeah, sunrise. Sunderland talks about it all the time. She has a PhD in hauntings. Her favorite thing about a haunted house is you get these ghost movies of the past running on a loop. You see shit like it was. And surely Quentin sees how the shit really was. I saw something in there. Who Plover really was. What he was doing to Martin Chatwin. The poor kid. He was just trying to get a button to Fillory. You know, so he could escape this monster who, by the way, generations of idiots like me have been worshipping like a literary god. And even going to... And now that we know who he is or what he is, what he did to those kids, Martin, I just want to kill him. You know, I want to, I want to step through the nearest clock and I want to wring his neck. The Julia Kyra story was a bit the B story here. And I don't have to say much about it, apart from that it was very well acted. But for me, the main story was the other story. And this just was uh, almost a distraction. 
On the other hand, it did bring Julia's story a little further. Okay, that was all for this time. Greets, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. All right, um, not going to binge 80 episodes in one week, Fred. Come on. But uh, um, he is watching watching Agent Carter. Did you watch Agent Carter when it aired? I loved Agent Carter. I liked Agent Carter so much more than I liked Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, but hey. That's just me. <laughs> and and uh, it, it, it's funny. I mean, he's talking about the different things he likes, uh, that he likes the interaction with the Starks. And I'm thinking like, wait a minute. He doesn't know Ned Stark. Or I'm she, she doesn't know Ned Stark. Right. I'm like, oh, you mean Tony? <laughs> or Rob. <laughs> right. Or Brand. Right. Now, he also mentions that we didn't react to a question in a previous audio feedback. And I guess, Fred, I mean, sometimes we don't react to every question um but that's the one about todd and margo and whether or not he had an erection i don't know and to be honest i didn't didn't notice that part i didn't notice it either just let that one go yeah yeah i I guess in terms of the episode is that something i can't remember if elliot's in the room at that time does elliot notice it is that part of elliot's angst going into this episode or is it really as you said i mean coping with mike's death is probably hit him a lot harder than margot's absence and the thought that she might be having sex with somebody else i think given their relationship what we've seen i think she he knows she's having sex with somebody else it might not be todd but um yeah that obviously that is that they have a completely open relationship so that is definitely not the thing bothering her. I just think he is completely broken because of what happened to Mike. And if Margo were there, she'd probably be able to help him through this. But she's not, so he doesn't have anyone. So he's latching on. You know, you ask why does he latch on to these younger students? Well, that that's it because there's no one else for him to latch on to, and he's just kind of like a drowning man trying to grab onto whatever's nearby. Yeah, yeah. Now he he brings up the letter and we we talked about the letter but but Fred pointed something out that I didn't really even notice and that's that she's actually writing a letter whereas he's answering by email. Right. And I guess my answer would be that and I only know this from TV I've never been in rehab myself but a lot of times you see they don't have access to computers or the internet. Right. And well, see, here's what I thought, because the, at my kids' camp, they obviously have no tech at camp at all, so they- They ditch the tech? If in the rare- in, in, Right, they ditch the tech. In, in the rare occurrence where they actually send a letter home, it's handwritten, and we can respond by sending them an email that the camp then- makes a copy of and gives to, to the kid. So the kid doesn't get the email directly. They get a piece of paper of the, the copied version of the email. Okay. So maybe that's what's going on. Uh, okay. And, and then if we extend that out further, she's not going to get his reply in a timely manner because she may not have access. Right. Right. Uh, now, he also brings up the hostility between Quentin and Penny, and, and, and we talked about that, and, and, and I do agree with Fred that it seems to be getting worse, but I do feel like by the end of this episode that 
Penny understands how high the stakes have become. I think for a long time he just didn't want to admit that Fillory was real, even though he'd been there. Because, uh, again, I think just sometimes he can't deal with the fanboy attitude that Quentin has had. And, and of course, we got to believe that's going to have disappeared by the next time we see the two of them. Well, Fred mentioned that very funny part where Penny tells Q, you'll never be a man, because he looks over, and as the... Uh, the the tour guide is quoting Plover. He looks over and uh, and Q is mouthing the words that the tour guide is is saying. So yeah, like he he definitely. It's not just the fanboy thing. It's just uh, yeah. We we get this feeling that uh, Penny probably grew up a little bit rougher than the other kids, and so he probably looks at these kids as being very privileged. So he would be insulted, I guess, a little bit by. Q's, you know, obsession with this fantasy world because maybe for Penny, uh, you know, the the real world is something that you have to deal with all the time, and and he can't relate to these problems related to a book, right? And and we do get a lot of the little the snappy lines out of Penny, usually as comebacks to something that Quentin has said, but Fred points out the, that, that scene where he's trying to remember something from the book. Uh, it was a dog. And then we get the little picture of the dog with the collar. No, no, no. It was a pig. No, no, no. I don't, I don't think he says it was a ferret, but Fred points out he doesn't know. And he gives us a couple screenshots that, uh, and mentions that he had ferrets himself, but, but yeah, you know, and evidence that Fred, was a player yes yeah yes yeah uh i noticed he didn't post this picture on the facebook group but uh that'll be up to fred but uh uh, but but it is a scene that that i think we have to have in this very dark episode because it it does give us about 30 seconds of levity as he's trying to remember and and we know quentin is just beside himself why can't you remember that's all you remember i mean he he just you know now that he's past being upset that he destroyed the book anyway Uh and then the other thing and i i had this in my notes and i forgot to bring it up the taking selfies all over plover's house now obviously the one he takes it's an obvious selfie when he's in Plover's writing room and he takes a picture of him standing in front of the desk. But I got the feeling at some points he was taking photographs really almost as evidence or for informational purposes once they left the house. And again, I could be wrong. And Well, just the fact that he's got that little camera that, yeah, I had one of those in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. You know, like... No one carries the ca- like. You have a phone with a camera on it, dude. Like, why you got a camera like that? Right, so, and they have I mean, that was fun, right? Because they have smartphones. We we've seen them in the episodes, right? Um, yeah, we've seen them, right? Now, now, yeah, we've mentioned before that that Fred travels a lot, and he'll go to some of the cities where a lot uh, some of these sci fi shows are filmed, and and you know he'll post some pictures of, of different you know, settings. And, and he mentions that Plover's house is reminiscent of the Valley Hala estate. Gotta love the name uh, in Canada that uh, was 
used in, in shows, including Orphan Black and Lost Girl. And again, he gives us some great screen caps. And dude, I, Fred, I don't know. Your, your memory just must be like <laughs> clearly so much better than mine or your attention to detail. Uh, Fred, I don't know if you're yeah. a Game of Thrones watcher, but did you notice the water bottle, Fred? Or <laughs> Did you see the water bottle? Oh my I God. did not until you know, I well, of course saw not. the pictures the yeah, next day. Yeah, of course not. He also brings up the map, and I looked at that a couple of times, and, and, and this is the one from Julia's story to Kira, and, and I just wonder, I, I, I feel instinctively it's going to become important at some point, but I, I don't know, so I guess we'll just have to just have to wait at at this point. I, I mean, why why would they show it have to us. that detail in there if it weren't going to be important later? It's totally going to be important later. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and then again, we've we've talked about uh, the fact that his hero has has been knocked so far off the pedestal. It's it's just, and and that's probably good because now they've got bigger problems to deal with in terms of fillery Uh, and then uh, I think one of the last things Fred mentions is the Julia story and and, you know the one thing I think they're all really good actors I, I mean we understand you take a show like the librarians and there's a certain tone and feel to the show so that the acting reflects that here it, it's a lot more serious than a show like the librarians but you know there are still you know moments i don't even want to call it overacting because that that's really not accurate but but julia just really has done such a wonderful job of i guess emoting that that angst that she's going through that i think it's so not that break bills rejected her it's that she just doesn't know what her purpose is in life at this point and i think she's coming to uh, the realization that maybe magic is not part of my life and and is what happened you know in, in this episode with richard is it was that incident supposed to boy her spirits and and to push her back to magic or is it supposed to drive her away or I don't know, but it, but I really do think think she might be the best actor of the bunch at this point, and maybe it's because of her story arc. But uh, I think Julia and Quentin, in in terms of the acting, those are my two favorites at this point. So okay, um, anything else about Fred's feedback you want to mention? Um, nope. Okay. No, I think we're good with that. Okay. Um, I just want to mention two things about the episode itself that, that I did I forgot to mention. Uh, first of all, at the end, they crack open the bottle of Bushmills, which is like the best whiskey ever. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'll take your word for uh, it. Okay. Um, oh, the the name of the, the pub, I don't know if you noticed it. I didn't. It's called the ball and sack. <laughs> ah, perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's it's on. I just caught it. It's on the side of it when they that first exterior shot in uh, in England. So, mm, so, all right, Fred. Great stuff as usual. I appreciate you taking the time to record, and as you always do, provide us 
uh, notes that certainly makes it easier to recall uh, your feedback. But uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. want to thank you for joining us, and we'd love to hear what you think about The Magicians. Uh, if you still got anything to say about Hill House, I mean, we haven't talked about that in a while, and I guess we're still sure. quite a ways off in the distance for the next season of The Haunting. It'll not be at Hill House. Uh, maybe Travelers. We've got Dark weeks away encourage you to join the facebook group share your thoughts with the sci-fi tv rewatch community emails to sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com voicemails can go via the speak pipe tab which you can access through the website and we'll be back next week to continue our discussion of the magicians with season one episode 10 titled homecoming but until then you know we it's funny how we always we we, we never really talk about the, the Fred's feedback that was kind of a little different from uh, his his normal one. Um, you know, the one we just said, I don't know what you're yapping about, as usual. <laughs> <laughs>